Handle on the News. Handle on the News. If you don't have a job, if you're not in school, get you a Bill Handle. And now, here's Bill Handle. Okay, here we go. Uh, yet another day, it's Thursday, Friday Eve. As uh, Jennifer says on a regular basis, first time I heard that, Jennifer, I thought that was so lame. Uh, but now that I've heard it a few times, it's even more lame. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, yes, thank, thank you so much for that. Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, hello to Mo. Good morning. And uh, still probably here through tomorrow. It's we don't hit know. And miss. Yeah. Have we heard from uh, Wayne? We heard from him yesterday. And uh, did he say he's probably going to be on all week? That he can t- tell us. Be careful with that text message. I wouldn't divulge everything that's in it. Okay, I'll hide, I'll hide your pictures in it, Mo. Yes. Um, he <laughs> says it's touch and go. It's 50-50. Okay. And that's what I'll say. All right. So he's obviously on a trial. And uh, when he comes back on Monday, assuming he comes back on Monday, unless it's one of those trials that are going to last four months and he's sequestered. I but, saw, then, but then we wouldn't get a text. What? I saw on Twitter yesterday what the trial was. Oh. It was a decision of Laurel versus Yanni. Oh. He did tweet that yesterday. Call back. <laughs> that was funny, funny. Yes. No, that is funny. I was smiling. I was smiling. Uh, I'm pointing. You don't ever smile. Oh, sure I do. Sure I do. Notice he smiled behind the cup, though, as he was drinking. I smile. I smile. We just have to take his word for it. Yeah. No, I smile. I smile. I sometimes laugh when it's, well, no. When there's an excellent joke that is hilarious, I never laugh. I just point to you and go, that's a good joke. That's funny. That's all I do. And then John. Uh, good morning, John. Good morning. All right. Uh, what do we have today? Uh, Sanctuary City Roundtable met with, um, originally, uh, meeting with not only the president, but a whole bunch of uh, the hierarchy of the federal government. That happened yesterday in Washington. A bunch of Southern California uh, Republican anti-sanctuary people met. And then there's uh, more information on the Russia investigation. And then, uh, for some reason, this is important, Giuliani is saying that Mueller's team said he can't indict a sitting president. Uh, they wouldn't anyway, because it would be such a mess to indict a sitting president. And it's never gone up through the courts and no president has ever been indicted, even when they should have been indicted. Ronald, uh, not Ronald Reagan, uh, Richard Nixon should have been indicted. I mean, there is no issue. And had he not been pardoned by Gerald Ford, he would have been convicted of a felony. But after leaving the presidency. So the only thing you can do with a president uh, is impeach and throw him out of office. And then indict him. Then indict him, yeah. So as uh, he leaves the Senate floor, or at at that point, I don't know if he'd be on the Senate floor, uh, the second the vote is taken by the Senate, which removes him from from office, and it's upon the vote, at that moment, two things happen. The president becomes a private citizen, and the authorities are waiting outside the door of uh, the chamber and arrest him literally as he starts walking down the steps. Okay, so much for that. You guys ready to do it? Handle on the news Let's on a Thursday. Uh, lead story. The big disgrace, waving your banner all over the place. All right. Uh, as I told you, a group of <laughs> Southern California, uh, not only politicians, but law enforcement people met with the president as well as a senior administration uh, officials yesterday. 
screaming about sanctuary city laws and sanctuary state laws and ripping into uh, the president, ripping into Jerry Brown and talking about how life is over for us and California is about to go into the toilet and uh, it couldn't be worse. Well, I mean, I'm not a big fan of sanctuary cities, you know that, but the reality is it's, we're not going into the toilet. We're really not. It's, as a matter of fact, the economy is doing better than it ever has. It's on fire. Unemployment is down to virtually zero. It's considered full uh, full employment. And uh, our uh, and the issue with uh, illegal aliens and sanctuary cities. How many how many criminals who have been released that would have been picked up by the federal authorities? ICE committed crimes. Uh, we, first of all, we don't know, except uh, the Kate Steinle case, for example, right? That is the poster child. Since Kate Steinle was killed by an illegal alien, therefore, all illegal aliens kill innocent people. Which Sil- is the way it's being portrayed. Syllogistic logic. Whatever the hell that means. I actually know what that means. Yes, but I you, wanted, know, I, you know. I know, but I want to sound like an idiot. You don't try very hard, do you? No. Oh, wow. I'm you know, sucking up on my coffee. <laughs> Syllogism. All right. All right. Donald Trump Jr. says, it's no biggie that I met with the Russians. That was uh, during the infamous meeting uh, during the campaign. That is the big issue. What happened during the campaign? What happened after the election? After the election, they can meet with anybody they want. But during the kind campaign. Of, sort of. It depends if it's the president-elect versus sworn in. Uh, actually, no, even anticipation. I mean, there's technically a difference, but even during the transition, it's very different because you're no longer affecting the election. Right, but there's only one president at a time. Sometimes. No, that's, that's uh, only one pope at a time, sometimes. Right. Because we had the two popes, one in Rome and one in Avignon. Uh, and uh, a <laughs> little bit of history there for a moment. Uh, but there is a big difference because after the election, no one can be accused of uh, interfering with the election. And that's the big issue here. But Donald Trump has gone, Jr., has gone from, uh, we were there to talk about adoptions. We were there to get some dirt on Hillary. We were there now to get some dirt on Hillary from the Russians. And it just, the bar keeps on moving, bouncing all over the place. So but now. He says no matter what, yeah, it was still it, no big deal. Totally unapologetic. And it, it, it basically taking a Trump stance. Uh, don't pay attention to anything I say. That's all. Just watch what I did. I didn't get involved in interfering with the election, even though uh, everybody else did. And uh, is this going to bite him in the ass? Who the hell knows? Let's take a break. And uh, we'll come back. And uh, also your chance to win $1,000. All right, Handel here in the morning crew on a uh, Thursday. Here's uh, your chance to win some money. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200.
And if you do win, you're going to get a call from a number you don't recognize. So you've got to pick it up or they'll move on to somebody else. Your chance to win happens every hour, Monday through Friday, starting at 5 o'clock with Wake Up Call, all the way through the Conway Show at 7 o'clock at night. All right, back we go. More handle on the news. Jennifer Jones-Lee, Mo Kelly, me, and we're covering uh, sanctuary cities. We'll talk about that later on. Net neutrality, that's a big one, what's going on, and see what's uh, happening in Congress regarding net neutrality, which affects every single one of us. And that will happen at 9 o'clock. Let's continue on. Bill, you had touched upon this last segment. Mueller's team, had, uh, supposedly, they've told Trump's lawyers they can't indict a sitting right. president. And we'll talk more about that. It's just, that's what Giuliani is saying, and it's probably true. All right. Well, you guys, we are actually, oh, at this yeah. moment, <laughs> working to confirm an unconfirmed report that an arrest has just been made in the Aliso Vallejo, uh, v- Aliso Viejo explosion this week. Oh. Like, as of this second, we are working on it. Uh, and uh, it has, have they yet said it was uh, an intentional bomb that was placed? Because all I've heard, I, up to this point, all I've heard is the authorities say this is not an accident. Not an accident what is that what they mean, keep as saying. opposed to someone put a bomb in there? But they are, well, they are pretty sure that this woman who owned a spa... Uh, opened a package that was intended for her and it, had her name wow. on it is what I've been hearing. And again, these are unconfirmed reports. Which but. is why, which is why I, uh, when packages come to me, uh, it, the package is handed to an intern who goes down the hall and around the corner and that's where they open the package. And you're not kidding. No, I'm damn right. <laughs> Horrible. Anyway, from what I, I understand. I like the job that much? From what I understand, the content like cell phones that are hands-free. That's how we'd be working this show. Hands. Never mind. Let's just. That's that's a go 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 go. The package has been sent to Quantico. They are looking into it right now. And uh, so anyway, but again, we are working to confirm these reports that an arrest was just made this morning. You know those ten kids found in Northern California? Well, evidently they were waterboarded and shot with crossbows. Which, of course, the parents are denying completely. Explains the puncture wounds. Yeah. Well, no, there are no puncture wounds. That's right. They don't exist. Remember, they don't exist. And uh, the feces on uh, the floor was just a pet dog, uh, even though it was piled high. Although I, I'll bet you they're going to do uh, their testing on that. They're going to do some uh, stool samples and find out that uh, some of it belonged to those kids. Oh, easy. Oh, yeah. you could. T- I mean. Oh yeah, you can tell the difference between human and animal. Oh no, I'm saying they was, do fit. No, they do testing. It was. I mean, yeah. they actually do uh, real testing. I wonder, lab technologists, right, do testing of blood, et cetera. And I once asked one. So, uh, do you draw straws to see who does the tool, stool testing? And is it the winner or the loser? Let's just move on. Anyway, those uh, the parents are saying no. It's just it's so delusional. It's such a crazy story. They're simply denying all of it happened, and they're wonderful parents, and the kids are terrific, and there are no puncture wounds, and they weren't tied up, even though the authorities came in and saw them tied tied up. No, no, not at all. None of that happened. We're wonderful people. I mean, just I don't know. I guess that's what they're going to say at trial. Well, they they believe it. The parents. Believe it. Maybe. In interview after interview, they make these definitive statements, and they are begging to get their word out there. I mean, it's the craziest thing. You were mentioning net neutrality. We kind of figured this would happen. The Senate has passed 
the measure to repeal net neutrality. There's no negotiation with but the fellas. It's going to go nowhere. FCC. It's going to die on the president's desk. It goes to desk. the House where it's going to die. And if it passes the House, it goes to the president who will not sign it. Right. And we'll talk more about that at 9 o'clock. That's so important, this net neutrality Huge. business. It is enormous because it affects every single one of us. Oh, boy. Cambridge Analytica whistleblower tells Congress the company actually tried to suppress voting. We sort of knew that. Yeah. So, But this is the whistleblower in front of Congress. Confirmation. Under, under oath. Uh, where, But he was not involved personally in that uh, venue. He said, I was not part of that actual uh, suppression of voting. I just know about it. When are we going to get to the point where we have the conversation about election fraud versus voter fraud? That's what I want to know. Now, are they going to? Yeah, we're almost there. Uh, I don't know if it's fraud. Election fraud has to do. I Not think, in this case, election yeah, fraud. Uh, but uh, with well, the gerrymandering in. Well, because well, gerryman- gerrymandering is not election fraud. It's just what the, I mean, it, 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 de facto, it's election fraud. But Congress is able to do that. Yeah. Except a couple of Supreme Court, a couple of court decisions say, no, you can't do that. You, you <laughs> cannot uh, draw that district that you go from that house, which is a registered Republican, and then you ignore the house next to it, which is a Democratic house. So you, so the line goes but, you know, on the property line, and then it swings over and picks up more Republicans. I mean, that's how uh, what gerrymandering is about. And other than the courts having said it, it is perfectly legal. Election fraud is, I mean, it's, it's a pretty high bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to, uh, I think, screw around with the, the, the machine or the vote or the uh, tally uh, or uh, allow people to who shouldn't vote, vote. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, they allow people who shouldn't vote to vote all day long because all you have to do is know an address and a name. Although the stats say it almost never happens. The Heritage Foundation said 1,000 people have been confirmed of voter fraud since 2000, which is like one in a million. Uh, yeah, not very much. Okay, we'll take a break and uh, come back uh, with some FBI news. All right. KFI handle on a uh, Thursday, May 17th, uh, some of the big stories uh, that we're covering at 9 o'clock of the net neutrality. Boy, what a story that is. And then a bunch of... Uh, State, Southern California officials and sheriffs, et cetera, went to Washington to scream with President Trump about sanctuary city. Oh, yeah. And the uh, volcano. No news on the volcano, huh? Uh, no, they're just still sort of waiting for it. Still red alert. And uh, the only thing that I have seen is this morning, the only change is that uh, the tourism officials there are saying that no, like cruise lines will, won't stop there. Uh, hotel bookings are down 50%. And um, the, the officials there are going, hey, you realize that this just affects a tiny little part of the Big Island, like, right. but still, but who's going to go? Yeah, right. well, you can go to the other end of the island. Yeah, but you can understand that people are going, wait a minute, I've yeah. heard the air quality I'd ask for, for, di- I'd ask for I'd- a discount, because you're probably going to get it right now. All right, back we go. More handle on the news. Jennifer Jones-Lee, Mo Kelly in for Wayne and me. And the FBI director is defending protecting his sources when it comes to the battle with House Republicans. Are we human? What do they expect him to do? Of course he's What are your this. sources? What? Yeah, like I'm going to give those up. Yeah, so yeah, here's a couple of informants. 
Uh, here's some people that uh, have infiltrated into uh, Russia, right, into the Kremlin. Here And here are their names. Here are the people assigned to our embassies and our consulates all over the world that really aren't uh, diplomatic, part of the diplomatic court. They're really spies. Here are their names. He even said, I mean, he, that's what he said. He said, the day we can't protect human sources is the day we as American people start becoming less safe. Human sources in particular who put themselves at great risk to work with us I know. and our foreign partners have to be able to trust us. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, we have to find out. No, 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 we need their names. School bus driver has oh. been accused of sexually assaulting child. A four-year-old special needs kid. I mean, this is depraved to begin with. And then it hits another level of depravity. And then it hits another level of depravity. I can't think of anything worse than this. Humans are basically evil. Well, some are. No, I believe most of us are. Seriously? Yeah, being serious, I think most of us are. And we need some sort of deterrent or some sort of barrier to keep us from acting on our worst instincts. Really? Yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't know. I think uh, not that we would all do the same thing. Not yeah, everyone would commit murder. I think it's but, a, a level. If there wasn't a speed limit, for example, would you do 100 miles an hour? Yes. Matter of fact, oh, there totally is a speed adverse. limit in the morning. They do 100 yeah. miles an hour. Not that you could in California, but you know, that's me and Mo passing by you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they blow past me in the morning. They guys on motorcycles doing 100, 120 miles an right. hour. I'm zipping along at 70. Uh, sometimes 75, and uh, it's like I'm standing still and someone is going past me at 50 miles an hour. At least you're not the guy who was driving 60 this morning in the fast lane. Yeah, that's the other. Though, that's when, oh. you, need, that's when you need an RPG. And they'll get mad at you if yes. you honk at them or oh, I know. want them to get oh, over. Oh, you can't honk. Like oh, you're no, no, the no, you can't. Oh, no, no, they, they take out a shotgun. You cannot honk. Never, nowhere in America. No, the road rage business, you just let them go. Uh, matter of fact, my one of my favorite ones is... Uh, some guy is in the fast lane, uh, and he's doing 50 miles an hour, and I just start just hammering the horn. This was a few years ago before you get killed for doing that. And on his bumper sticker, bumper sticker said, honk if you love Jesus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he just kept on waving thumbs up. He's like, amen. Yeah. <laughs> Only you handle <laughs> Well, there is a special task force in L.A. County that's looking at charges against sexual abuse charges against at least half a dozen Hollywood celebrities. We're talking people like Harvey Weinstein. Well, that's a given. You have 20 investigations against Harvey Weinstein going on right now. A total of of 20. Criminal investigations. London, Los Angeles, New York, Beverly Hills. It's not good to be Harvey Weinstein these days. Or, in this case, actors Ed Westwick... Steven Seagal, they're all ones who may have charges filed against them now. Bill, I'm curious. Does the Bill Cosby verdict in any way impact what might happen here? No. I think the judges are pretty careful not to do that. Depends on the judge. Uh, but I think judges are are pretty good at when it's limited to this particular case. Certainly more than juries are. But if it goes to, right, but if it goes to trial? I. Uh, well, there's already been a trial, uh, but if uh, any of these go to trial, you're saying, yeah. will, will one impact the other? Uh, the answer should be no, 
And uh, the answer is probably yes, but to a limited degree, and in some cases, no, no degree at all, if you actually have a judge that pays attention to the law. But we're also human. Right. Yeah, who doesn't know about Bill Cosby and who doesn't connect it? And it's a question of egregiousness, too. Uh, it's, uh, if I'm a judge and someone is uh, nailed on one count, I may actually give that person a lesser sentence because the other ones are so egregious that this guy relative oh, to I those people mm-hmm. is, this is a nothing, uh, relatively speaking. So it runs both ways. That's me doing legal analysis. I made all of that up just now. Marginal at that. It's uh, certainly marginal. All right. Want to do one more story before we sure. take a break? Sure. The settlement with Larry Nassar victims will have an impact on Michigan State. Yeah, you and I talked about this yesterday, and you said it's not that big a deal. No, I didn't say it was not that big a deal. I'm saying that Michigan State will not be as impacted as some are theorizing. Oh, because it's such a, a monster of uh, the athletic program. Correct. And it makes so much money. Well, it, not only that, and they have insurance for a lot of this. Uh, yeah. And then they have, I don't think the Booster Club's going to do much, but uh, yeah, they have uh, insurance. Uh, they also uh, have uh, money the state pays yes. in. So there's a lot It's a there. state school as opposed to. Yeah. So at this point, uh, it's about $1.2 million per victim, 1.28, about $1.3 million over 332 girls. And it averages. Some are going to get more, some are going to get less, depending on the circumstances around which uh, they were abused. And that doesn't count their lawsuits. They've just settled against Michigan. Now, it doesn't count the lawsuit against the U.S. Olympic Committee, USA Gymnastics, uh, Bella and Martha uh, Caroli, which uh, I don't know how much money they have. But uh, it's, let me tell you something. There's real money that's going to cross uh, cross those lawyers' desks. Well, just like you said, they have a combination of insurance, state funding, and yeah. student tuition revenue. Yeah, that's tough. So when students, uh, the tuition goes up. And it will. And uh, and what the school does is point to uh, this settlement. Man, going to be some unhappy students. Happened with Penn State. Yeah. Yep. All right. We're going to come back. Now we'll take a break and uh, come back and finish it up. First. It is meant to be. It'll be. It'll be. Baby, just let it be. It is meant to be. KFI Handle here on a Thursday morning. Uh, and uh, before we get into finishing Handle on the news, uh, breaking news that just came in now, Jennifer. Yep. Okay. So this is from the Associated Press. The FBI says the investigation into a deadly building explosion in SoCal has led to the arrest of a man on suspicion of possession of an unregistered destructive device. FBI spokeswoman Laura uh, L. Miller stresses in a statement today that the man, 59-year-old Stephen Beal of Long Beach, has not been charged in connection with Tuesday's explosion. But if you look up Stephen Beal's Facebook page, shows many photos of him apparently recently traveling with the woman who was just killed, 48-year-old Ildiko Kranyak, who was a cosmologist who ran the day spa where the explosion went off. So I'm just looking at his Facebook page. So he's only been, at this point, he's been charged with possessing an unregistered explosive device. How do you register explosive devices? Well, that I didn't know either. Right. I either pipe bombs here. I'm registering my (laughs) pipe bomb. I don't know. Uh, What do you do with that? Now, here's the deal, though. So I looked up, like, you know, you, you can look up what about the guy. He is a member of SAG-AFTRA. Aha, uh-huh. no surprise there, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. Criminal who is a member of SAG-AFTRA. Aren't Since... you a member? Yes. Oh. Aren't you a member? Yes. Mm-hmm. As am I. Aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, mm. Says he went to Pepperdine, went to Cerritos High, and lives in Long Beach. Okay. And so he'll he'll be charged. I mean, they they just I mean they just charge him with something, and then they will add the charges. They just want to get him off the streets. And it's photo after photo of him and the woman who was just killed yeah. on a trip to Puerto Vallarta yeah. in April. Says he made a post that his mom passed away on April 26th in the celebration for her services done. She was 95. So who knows what he was going through. I heard at the news conference yesterday, some reporter asked, didn't he and his girlfriend just have a bad breakup? Or didn't the woman and her boyfriend just have a bad breakup? So this is all being put together now. Well, there's a Texas doctor who was accused of giving chemotherapy to his patients Except they didn't need it. And then which doctor he told me what now, to do. Doctor fraud is an everyday occurrence. This is not a big story at all. It's just another doctor who is screwing insurance companies and maybe uh Medicare. It's the amount of money oh my God. that he is accused of defrauding. I mean, this is stunning. Two hundred forty million dollars. If you're going to commit fraud, you know. You might as well go balls to the wall. That's right. Just one one scheme. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you're going to do it, I mean, what are you going to do it for $5,000 and you're going to be uh, liable for prosecution? $240 million. Well, speaking of medical, FDA has approved a new drug to treat symptoms of opioid withdrawal and help patients overcome addiction. I guess that's good. Uh, yeah. And it's as, like many of these drugs... Uh, it has been FDA approved for something else. In this case, it was a hypertension medication that was found to work. Like minoxidil. Kind of like Viagra. Uh, no, I think it was Viagra. I think it was for blood pressure as well, if I'm not mistaken. It was originally for blood yeah. pressure, and then yeah, they I found out right. uh, it was Erection City. Uh, where, did you ever read uh, you know, uh, all of the... A little, uh, what, you know, the microscopic uh, print side they effects? have on those. I have not. not even no. Side effects. You may be you you may pitch a tent for more than four hours. Yes, and if you do have an erection for more than four hours, uh, first of all, you want to go to the doctor, and then you have to tell the women who are lined up uh, twenty deep outside the front door, uh, gals, uh, I have to come back and take care of you later. Would you really want to have one for more than four hours? I, you know what? I'd rather, if I can get one for more than 40 seconds, it's a miracle. They have drugs for that. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, say it, Jennifer. We're done. Yeah. Can we just be done, please? Can we just wrap it up? Unless you really want to talk about romaine lettuce. Uh, only because you don't have to worry anymore uh, about romaine lettuce because the shelf life is done. Yes. All clear has been given on romaine yeah. lettuce in E. coli. And uh, the, uh, the the romaine lettuce that grew in the Yuma area is no longer growing because the season is over. Yeah. And the now, romaine... it's, now the season comes here. In other words, we are now supplying the romaine lettuce uh, because it's seasonal. And it uh, so that part is already done. And I, I don't think they ever figured out exactly where it came from, did they? No, I don't think so. Which is unusual, because yeah. usually the CDC comes in and points to not only the farm where it came from, but the row where it came from, and even the actual location. It came from this one hole the thing grew up in, or the plant grew. All right, we're going to come back to the Russian investigation. Uh, it uh, turns uh, one year old. Happy birthday. And uh, a big deal, right? Boy, that's going for a long, long period of time. No, not even close. And we'll come back. This is KFI AM 640.
A uh, Thursday, May 17th. A lot to cover today. Uh, Russia investigation. We're going to do some news about that right now. The net neutrality vote yesterday, which went nowhere but means so much. And then we have a great success from uh, story, a success from scratch story. A guy by the name of Ken Langoni, right? You don't know his name. Oh, trust me, you're going to know what company he created. Oh, believe me. That's at 8 o'clock. All right, now. Uh, let's move on to the Mueller probe. And uh, the president, again, and Jul- through Giuliani, uh, actually the president through his own tweets, have said this Mueller investigation, this Russia investigation, is the greatest, biggest witch hunt in the history of the United States. Not that Donald Trump is um, can be accused of exaggeration. At all. Uh, let me see what other uh, witch hunts there are. Oh, I don't know. Maybe the Joe McCarthy going after the, the alleged communists in the 50s. Uh, I thought that was pretty much of a good witch hunt, which thousands and thousands of people uh, had their careers destroyed and the paranoia that went on. No witch hunt there, but this is much greater, right? So uh, a quick timeline. I want to give you where it's going. And it's been going on one year. One year. And uh, for, uh, and maybe I can, uh, and it's gone on longer than any other investigation, this witch hunt. Well, it seems like it's dragged on. uh, But you know what the longest special counsel probe was in modern U.S. history? Remember Iran-Contra under former President Ronald Reagan? Seven years. His entire presidency. Whitewater and and Monica Lewinsky, Right? Four years. Uh, the investigation of the Valerie Plame affair. Remember that one? Uh, that was uh, under former President George W. Bush. Three and a half years. Mueller's pace is breakneck relative to the other ones. So uh, that's the reality. So just a, a quick timeline. Give you an idea because we're going to hear so much about this. Okay. And it all starts uh, with Robert Mueller appointed as special counsel. Uh, by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, or Rosenstein, who was appointed, uh, Rosenstein was appointed by Jeff Sessions, who then appointed special counsel. If you remember, Jeff Sessions recused himself, and he almost quit over that. Mueller uh, and the president almost fired him over that. And uh, the only reason that uh, Mueller was not fired is because White House counsel Dan McGahn said, number one, you can't do it, which he could legally, and if you do, I'm going to quit. That's it. I'm out of here. So uh, then there is an issue of that meeting that took place at Trump Tower during the presidential campaign. That is so critically important because meetings that took place before the election versus after the election, everything before the election, the argument is interfering with the election after the election is simply uh, approaching the transition period. You can talk whoever you want. Because it has nothing to do with the election itself. So we're having all kinds of different information. Donald Trump Jr. Uh, is just come out and he said, it's no big deal that I met with these Russians during the campaign. It's no big deal. I'm proud of it. But wait a minute. Originally, it was uh, about the adoptions, which that went away very quickly. Uh, then it was about dirt on Hillary. Uh, That is uh, part of it, too. And then dealing with the election itself, that's the allegation. 
Uh, but and, and it could be a problem. I mean, interference, I mean, it may go down to Donald Trump and Jared Kushner who were involved uh, and knew that there was interference. That's where it may go. And, of course, Trump kept on changing the story completely uh, through his staff. Now the guilty pleas that have come down. George Papadopoulos, former policy advisor, lying to the FBI. See, that's the big one. You lie, even when no crime has been committed. Uh, Michael Cohen, you know about that one. That's just blowing up where President Trump lied, just lied. On Air Force One, nope, don't know anything about it. Nope, nope, uh, didn't do it, didn't pay, didn't know anything about it. Now it's breaking that he not only did pay, he knew all about it. Michael Flynn, another guilty plea for lying to the FBI about his contacts with the Russian ambassador. And uh, the Rep- even the Republicans are pretty upset. They released a memo. Uh, and in this case, uh, I, here's where they're upset about the fact this whole thing is going on. So the accusation the Justice Department improperly eavesdropped on Carter Page, foreign policy aide to Trump, during the campaign. Why? Because there is, was a FISA warrant, and the FISA warrant, they argue, was illegal, and the court should the FISA court should never have issued it because the court didn't know that it was based on opposition research that was provided by the Clinton folks during the campaign. Although the court was told, uh, yes, there was some political issues here, but the Clinton uh, campaign wasn't mentioned, and it's very complicated in that there was plenty of other things going on. But this is what happened. The accusations are always simplistic. They're always one line is thrown out when it actually takes 10 lines to even begin to describe it. Then... Mueller indicts 13 Russians. Then uh, a lawyer uh, from uh, a former lawyer at a prestigious law firm, a guy, Alex Vander Zwan, pleads guilty to lying to federal agents about his work with Manafort and Gates. Gates flips. The Democrats fire back. This is all timeline stuff. And they release their own memo defending that surveillance going the other way. And then you have the interviews, right? Uh, Trump's lawyer drafted about four dozen questions they expect prosecutors are going to ask, and there's still negotiations going on. Does the president talk to Mueller? Does it, do they sit down? Uh, does our, is the timeline limited? Uh, is uh, just questions asked? Is it in person? There's a lot of that. And then, of course, uh, the raid on, uh, this was April 9th, the raid on uh, Michael Cohen's office. He has not been charged. And they're looking at the Paul Manafort uh, connection. I mean, if you look at this stuff, you know, here's the problem is even if nothing comes out of this and it lasts another year, this is this definitely puts a stain on the Trump administration, not to his base, but just to his ability to govern. When this stuff is hanging over your head, Monica Lewinsky, for example, the Clinton administration did nothing for a year and a half. All they did was deal with the Monica Lewinsky story. The Nixon administration did nothing for the last year because it was dealing with Watergate. And I hope it doesn't reach a point where this goes to the, the uh, right into an area where the Trump administration is going to do nothing because it's going to be so concentrated on this issue. I hope not. All right, coming up. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, with uh, Donald Trump, the Trump Stormy money admission, this is a big one, except for Trump's base, because it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And also- uh-huh, this might all the girls don't be like this. Few times been around that track, so it's not just gonna happen like that. Cause it ain't no Hollaback girl, I ain't no Hollaback girl. Few times been around that track, so it's not just gonna happen like that. Cause ain't all right, no handle here. It is a Thursday morning, May 17th. First, we start with your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword LUCK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's LUCK to 200-200. And if you do win, you're going to get a call from a number you don't recognize, so you've got to pick it up or they'll move on to somebody else. Your chance to win happens every hour Monday through Friday, starting at 5 o'clock with Wake Up Call all the way through the Conway Show at 7 o'clock at night. All right, we're back. Uh, big stories that we're covering. Net neutrality, huge story. What's going on with that? And it affects every one of it. So I'll talk about that at 9 o'clock. And then some Uber news. Uh, you get to sue Uber. And you don't have to go to arbitration anymore. Okay, fair enough. Now, one of the things uh, about uh, Trump, these disclosures now are coming in. Uh, the Stormy Daniels story just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. We start with the fact, is anybody on this planet believe uh, or not believe Stormy Daniels that she had a sexual encounter with the president. I mean, he can deny it all day long, but please give me a break. I mean, the political fallout doesn't matter. You know, the people, the the evangelicals uh, don't care. They love Trump no matter what. Now, if you were caught screwing around, you're going to hell. That's it. You are an immoral human being. President Trump is not. He gets a pass. The other thing that I want to point out before I get into the specifics of this particular story uh, is that the president, when in doubt, makes up rules. Let's just make it up. You say A, I say B, even when it's A. And this is the case now with money disclosure on that Stormy Daniels situation. Now, uh Donald Trump said he was not required to report the payment, the debt that he now says he owed Michael Cohen. And Michael Cohen, of course, uh, what he did is he paid money uh, out of uh, a slush fund that Donald Trump didn't know about. Air Force One, the president said, nope, had no idea. All I can tell you is I didn't stoop. I, I didn't stoop Stormy. No stoop for Stormy. I'm d- denying all of that. How about the money? Don't know anything about it. How about the fact she was paid $130,000 through your attorney for a non-disclosure about your sex act with her? Don't know anything about it. Nothing. Now, here's what he has to do. If he paid Michael Cohen to pay Stormy Daniels, which now has come out, that's a failure to disclose. And that is against the law. Now, is it a technical one? Well... Depends on how far you go in determining how important technical violations are. The president, like other federal employees, uh, must fill out a financial disclosure form every year. That's the law. Trump's first form submitted in June of last year, covering 2016 and early 2017, makes no mention whatsoever of a debt to Cohen. None. All of a sudden... 
it has become a debt to Cohen. And so that has to be disclosed. And as a matter of fact, this time around, he does disclose it. Although he didn't the first time around. And so how does the president respond? I don't have to disclose it. But there's the law right there. It's written. There it is. Nope. Nope. No, no, it's not. I'm showing it to you. Nope. You're wrong. Doesn't exist. It's much like the photo uh, that took place at the election. More people showed up at the election uh, at the inauguration for my inauguration than did uh, President Obama. Far more people. Here are the two pictures. Okay. There they are. Nope. It's not true. No, no, you're wrong. Those empty spaces are either photoshopped or you're simply counting wrong. And the same thing is going. And it's a little, the technical part is how a, is how the financial disclosure is put down on paper. All right. According to uh, a, uh, according to the official, uh, the government, uh, Office of Government Ethics, the payment made by Cohen has to be required, is required to be reported by the president as a liability, and he didn't do that. And, okay, no big deal, except it was hush money payment made to a woman to not disclose she had sex with the president. That is the important part. Nope. Nope, no sex at all. Didn't happen. As a matter of fact, there is no Stormy Daniels. It's all fake. It's fake news. That she's a porno star, that she exists, and look at those boobs. Tell me that's not fake news. Those aren't real. And he's right. Those aren't real. But this is a case where even if you look at what is technically required, and tell me that President Trump didn't have the finest lawyers and uh, uh, the finest accountants and people who deal with financial forms. And we're talking about after he has been nominated for uh, the presidency. Nope. Didn't happen. I'll change the rules. I didn't say that on Air Force One when I said no. You misunderstood. There's the video. Nope. Nope. Didn't happen. See, that's what we're dealing with. When in doubt, you make up your own rules. And it doesn't matter. Uh, he gets away with it. I mean, he just, uh, everybody knows. Everybody knows he stooped Stormy Daniels. Everybody knows $130,000 was paid to her. Everybody knows it was hush money. Everybody knows there's a non-disclosure agreement. Everybody, everybody, everybody. But it it don't matter to me. All right, uh, coming up. What happened at that immigration meeting, right? The Trump immigration meeting that happened yesterday and how Southern California sheriffs, elected officials, what happened to that meeting yesterday, meeting with the president? Uh, it's fireworks. It's wonderful. This is chaos. Handle here on a Thursday with the morning crew. A quick reminder, asking you to please uh, donate to help the American Red Cross Initiative to get prepared California. It's a $400 donation, and what you get is you and a guest enjoy cocktails and appetizers with all the KFI hosts and crew, plus unlimited sky slide rides during an exclusive evening at the OUE Sky Space 
in downtown L.A. It's a 1,000-foot building. You have to be 21 years or older. 100% of the proceeds benefit the American Red Cross. Get prepared California campaign. Limited tickets. Uh, log on to KFIAM640.com, and the search word is Mixer. All right, yesterday, uh, interesting meeting at the White House. Uh, Donald Trump was there. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, uh, Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, Kristen Nielsen, uh, Director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, House Majority Leader uh, Kevin McCarthy. And uh, who was there and was all from Southern California? Mayors, sheriffs, supervisors, DAs, council people, all of them having the one thing in common, they hate the sanctuary city, state, county laws. Hate them, hate them, hate them. And it was a, a, more of a political gathering. And what the president did is invite them, and uh, let's talk about how horrible sanctuary cities are, because as you know, the feds and the state, uh, in a huge fight going on right now. The feds have filed a lawsuit against the state of California to get rid of sanctuary cities, and the legal argument is... Uh, what we do supersedes any uh, any state law, as in your sanctuary uh, state law, and uh, you can't do what you're doing, and that is not cooperate with ICE. Can't do that. You have to cooperate with ICE. All right. Now, a good part of this was talking about Libby Schaff and really talking to Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who was there, sort of indirectly. Libby Schaff is that Oakland mayor who February of this year tipped off the residents of Oakland, by saying there is an ICE raid about to happen. And here's when. It's imminent. And, of course, huge controversy. How does a mayor tip off a population of illegal aliens that a federal agency is about to engage in a raid? How does that work? Well, that's a very liberal mayor, Libby Schaff. Well, it's Oakland, too. So uh, Trump had insisted, as soon as this happened, on a very harsh penalty for Schaff. On Wednesday, he again said basically the same thing yesterday. But his remarks were mainly aimed at the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. As a matter of fact, he was looking at him in reference to Libby Schaff, and says, you talk about obstruction of justice. I would recommend that you look at obstruction of justice for the mayor of Oakland, and he's nodding to Sessions. To me, that's an obstruction of justice. Perhaps the Department of Justice can look into that. And probably muttering, Jeff Sessions, are you listening to me? Huh, huh, huh. And uh, we don't know what Sessions did. Well, Sessions doesn't emote very much. He's very stoic. Uh, he's very inscrutable when he is listening to, to uh, stuff like this. On the other side, uh, Schaff has been totally unapologetic about her decision to warn the Bay Area immigrants about pending arrests, raids by ICE. And according to federal officials, that reduced the number of arrests of those suspected being in the country illegally, which makes sense. If you know that a raid is a coming, you get out of Dodge, or in this case, Oakland, or you go someplace else. And uh, that is on top of 
asking San Diego County Supervisor, this is Trump, whether Mexico helps us or it does nothing. That's switching gears a little bit. That part of our problem is not only the Libby Shafts of this world and the Californians of this world, but let's look at Mexico. Look what Mexico has done. Do, does Mexico do anything? Do they help us or do they hurt us or it does, in this case, nothing? It doesn't stop the immigrants uh, attempting to cross the border. Mexico talks, and he answered his own question. Mexico talks, but they do nothing for us, especially at the border. And, uh, of course, everybody said, yes, that's true. Absolutely. And the issue here, and this is the bully pulpit of the president. And as far as legally what the White House can do, what the administration can do, they're doing it all. And it deals with a federal lawsuit, which is really the only way you can go on this point. I mean, they can't have uh, the armed services go in and arrest uh, Jerry Brown, for example, or the legislature for passing a law that says ignore the policies of the federal government. San Juan Capistrano Councilwoman Pam Patterson said, let's look at the San Onofre nuclear power plant. Huh? Huh? Has nuclear waste inside of it. Even though it's been shut down, there's plenty of uh, nuclear uh, material down there. She said, we know terrorists are coming. And I guess the implication is they're coming across the border as illegal aliens. And she said that threat equals that of the disasters at Chernobyl and uh, Fukushima, Japan. And so we better watch what's going on the border. Incidentally, I don't know how many terrorists have actually crossed the border and as for asylum, I don't know how many terrorists are Latino. No idea. But they're certainly out there. Just ask uh, the councilwoman from San Juan Capistrano. And Escondido Mayor uh, San Abed said, California is going down the drain because of the illegal aliens coming over here. Well, the economy is on fire. The employment rate is the lowest it's been since I can remember. And the reality is you can talk about the potential, you can talk about fairness, you can talk about issues, but you can't say California's going down the drain. Maybe philosophically. All right, there's so much more I can do about this, but we'll pick this up over the next several days. Let's switch gears and talk about home schools, because if you look at this recent case in which those 10 kids were found uh, in that home in Fairfield, tortured, they were homeschooled. And uh, what's the issue of homeschooling here? Oh, it's a big issue. Oh, it is a big issue. I'll share that with you. KFI AM 640. KFI handle here on a uh, Thursday. We have a success from scratch coming up, uh, and it is a good one uh, about a guy named Ken Langone. Haven't heard of him? Well, wait till you hear what he started. Believe me, you'll recognize that in about 30 seconds. No, three seconds. Okay. And then a surrogate mother case going in uh, front of the Supreme Court. That one's kind of neat. Boy, you think uh, I've got an interest in that one? Yay or nay? And then I'm going to give you some inside baseball on that one, to say the least. Okay. Now. 
Uh, one of the things uh, of uh, this Fairfield child torture case is, in addition to being stunned at what Jonathan Allen and Ina Rogers are being accused of, uh, torturing, abusing, neglecting 10 children who range in age from four months to 11 years. And we've that story has been covered nationally and we keep on talking about it. Uh, it, not only because it happened and the depravity of it, the level of depravity, but their denial that it ever happened. Nope, no puncture wounds. Nope, no evidence. Nope, none of that. Place is a filthy mess. Not really. We are just uh, tearing it apart looking for our missing uh, 12-year-old. Okay, then comes the case four months ago of the Turpins. David Turpin and his wife. Again, torture, child endangerment, where uh, children were found in their Riverside County home. The two, the two things that both of them have in common is both were, in both cases, the kids were homeschooled. And I'm okay with homeschooling. I mean, I wouldn't do it to my kids. But most of the time, homeschooling is good because there are some huge advantages of homeschooling. And that is it's a one-on-one. It's personal attention. Uh, the kid goes as fast or slow as the kid can go. I mean, it's, you talk about personalized attention. Even though the parents are not teachers. Uh, and in homeschooling, I don't know if you necessarily need a teacher as, affording, as, uh, as opposed to just following a syllabus. Uh, especially among uh, with real young kids. But here's the problem with homeschooling here in California. You know what the requirement is to have a homeschool? And this is a, this is a school that's legitimate in the sense that you issue the uh, high school diploma and there you go. You've graduated. The requirement is you simply let the state of California know that you're, you have a homeschool. That's it. We could have a homeschool here tomorrow afternoon. Matter of fact, why don't we do that? Why don't we let the state of California know that this state, that this room is a home school? I think that would fly legally. I think a lot of people would say it is already a home uh, I get it. But, see, therein lies the problem. There are advantages and there are disadvantages. So how do you take away the disadvantages, the possibility of, for example, in this case, you know, extreme when you're talking about what happened in uh, Riverside County and when you're talking about what happened up north in Fairfield? I mean, those are, that's the ultimate uh, depravity. But how about kids that are homeschooled and only religion, right? You have uh, religious fanatics that don't believe in schooling and they don't only, only believe in the Bible. Madrasas, if you will, Christian madrasas. So how do you deal with that? That's an easy fix. And I don't know why we haven't come to that. And that is, you register the homeschool, you provide the syllabus, once a year investigators come out, to make sure that everything is okay. The kids are tested year to year to make sure the kids are getting an education. And you effectively, the presumption is that, not that there's necessarily something wrong, but the presumption is that homeschools must be looked at very carefully. And right now, the presumption is the other way. Oh, we don't have to pay attention. Now, when you go to public schools, even private schools, for the most part, certified teachers, certainly the authorities know what's going on. If there is a problem, the authorities are instantly apprised of it, reported. How about homeschool? Well, here you have 10 kids that were tortured. 
Uh, there you had eight kids in Paris that were tortured. And even though those are, you can't use those two examples as to what's wrong with homeschooling. It's the bigger picture. What it does is, uh, I think it lends credence to the argument, you have to do more than just register with the state and let them know. And that's it. That's all the state has to do. I mean, think about it. Does that make any sense at all? That there is no protection for the kids whatsoever. That there is no mandated educational criteria. None. You do what you want. And then, let's say the parents don't really take general education seriously. Right? It's not that important. Right? We just want to make sure our kids are good kids and they have the religious upbringing we want to do. We want them to. How do you prepare a kid for college who does not have the requirements? Now, it can be argued that in the vast majority of homeschooling cases, the kids are a lot more prepared than anybody coming out of high school today. And that's probably true. But the argument is if you are legitimate and you're caring and you give a good education, do you care if a social worker comes in once a year? If a social worker came to my house once a year, I don't care. They can come in every six months if they want. Matter of fact, if they give me the time, they can do either surprise visits or they can actually schedule the visits and I will have Brent's cater it. That's how far I'll go. All right, coming up, success from scratch. A guy by the name of Ken Langone. Interesting guy, and you will know exactly what he did, what he does and did as soon as I open up the segment. KFI AM 640. AM640 handled here with a really neat success from scratch segment brought to you by Lifteek. Look years younger without facelift surgery. Go to lifteek.com. All right. Uh, Ken Langone, uh, uh, you don't know his name, but you may recognize uh, a couple of small companies uh, he was involved with. For example, co founding Home Depot. Uh, former director of a small organization uh, called the New York Stock Exchange. Ken wrote a book about how he did it all, and uh, it's called I Love Capitalism, an American Story. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm I mean, honored to be here. Oh, I love it. What? Uh, why did you decide to write a book? I mean, because uh, you've been in business for a very long time. Uh, you don't sound like you're 22 anymore. And well, I'm not. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so. Uh, tell us about why you decided at this point to write this book. Well, I was uh, approached by a publishing house that they thought I should write a book. Got and it. And I said, no, no, thank you. But that that was the end of it. Anyway, so I completely put it out of my mind until the presidential campaign of '16. And I one night I look was watching television and I was noticing that all the kids. All the people around Bernie Sanders were mostly young people, and I was frightened. I said, wait a minute. If these kids are going to buy into what he's preaching, America's in trouble. He, he was preaching out now socialism. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. 
that these kids were going to give up on the engine that made it all happen. Capitalism. It works. Uh, well, works. It, it does. Maybe not for uh, people who don't have any money for people that... I didn't, oh, oh, I didn't have any money. Yeah, but you're but you're very different. I mean, think about this for a moment. Hold it. I'm no different than anybody. I'm just me. I, I'm not I, different than anybody else. Go ahead. But let's look at how you grew up, okay? Uh, and yeah. I'm not trying to defend these people. I just remember that when I was younger, much younger, yeah. when I was in college, I was a social liberal because I had nothing. And yeah. I didn't have the, the wherewithal. I didn't have... Uh, the, the same kind of sentiment that I do now. So let's talk about your younger days. Uh, what, what, how did you grow up? Where did you get the thinking that puts you in a position to co-found a Home Depot? Okay. Well, first of all, the idea for the Home Depot was Bernie Marcus's. You know, I was early on an investor in one of his earlier companies out in California called Handy Dan. It was called Angels, too. Angels out there, I think. But anyway, back up. I was raised in one of the most wonderful experiences a human being could have. I was raised into a family. My mother and father gave my brother and me total unconditional love, total. And so we always had this, and, you know, we lived, my father was a plumber. My mother worked in a school cafeteria. They struggled paycheck to paycheck. And we had plenty of good food, plain food, but good food. We had a warm house in the wintertime, no air conditioning in the summer, a little house. And I, I, I didn't know we had economic limits. I just enjoyed my life as a young boy growing up, and I was happy. I had you know, friends, and I did things that boys do. I played sports, and I, I, you know, we built trees. We built tree houses and everything a kid does. And early on, I made my mind up. I wanted to make some money. What age? So whenever... Oh, 11, 12 years old. See, there's the difference. How many 11, 12-year-olds think in terms of it's time to make some money? Now we go back to really how unique you are. Uh, well, I, I don't think I'm that unique. See, I, I, I thought I was routine. Uh, and I didn't see anything special about what I was doing. One of the things I did do was to develop, and, I, and it is truly, uh, I developed a sense of I could pretty much look at people and decide, whether I wanted to be around them or not. And well, for example, Bernie Arthur and Pat Farrow, those three guys, Ross, Ross Perot, the day I met Ross Perot, I knew this is a guy I'm going to walk the path with. He's unbelievable. He was, he was and he still is unbelievable. A remarkable human being. A remarkable human being. And so all my business relations, by the way, let me be honest, my judgment isn't always right. If you got six months, I'll tell you all my failures. Now, just so, really quick, give me a couple of failures because that's always fun. Oh hell, I was in, I invested in a company that had fishing boats that were cloaked, langostinos off the Indian Ocean. That's great. Lobsters off the North Carolina coast. I love it. Uh, uh, anchovies off the coast of the of uh, uh, the Colombia, uh, Ecuador. Yeah, there aren't the that many anchovies. people that like anchovies on their pizza. Uh, well, but... I understand, but, I mean, you know, and so that was one. Um, a chain of bowling alleys was another. I can go on and on and on. Believe me, I've had my share of failures. Yeah, but your successes and, and... are obviously enormous. But... Well, you want to make sure. Successes, when your successes add up to more, then your failures add up and add up to a loss. So fortunately, the winners were much bigger than the losers were, or at least I was able to survive. But, but uh, you know, so I had this, this knack, and I think I developed at a young age. When I was a caddy, for example, and I was carrying a, play, a golf player's bags, 
I could tell who a guy was that was going to blame me for his bad shot or another guy who treated me like I was just a nice young man and he made me feel good. And you, and you say, wait a minute, this guy acted that way. And all of a sudden, intellectually, you're slotting people based on earlier experiences. Now, do you, typically, do you give yourself the credit uh, for when you meet people like a Ross Perot, not only are they decent human beings, could you, could you smell that this was success walking down? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. what, what you know right away, right away almost, is the passion they have for what they're doing. If you haven't got passion for what you're doing, don't count on winning. You better you better be you better be all in. You better be all in passionately and believe that what you're doing is going to work and you're going to make it successful and it's going to happen. All right, Bernie we... Arthur, Bernie Bernie Marcus, Arthur Blank, Pat Barrett, all of them. They all had one overriding characteristic. All right, let's... they wanted to win and they believed they could win. Yeah, well, you're obviously part of that crowd. So uh, let's take a break. I want to come back and talk about sure. Home, Home Depot itself. I mean, sure. way, way ahead of its time, and right. uh, you're a big part of that. We'll be right back with Ken Langone, uh, one of the co-founders of Home Depot. This is KFI AM 640. All right, General- KFI AM640, Bill Handel here, success from scratch. Ken Langone, co-founder of Home Depot, former director of the New York Stock Exchange. Let me go through the entire list. Uh, Ken, let's talk about Home Depot, uh, how yeah. that started. Now, at that point, you already had some money, correct? Yeah, I had some money. Okay. Not so a whole lot. I had one success. I had sold my medical device company to Eli Lilly in 1977, and, and almost exactly at the same day, uh, Bernie Marcus, who's a, he and I became very close friends through my investment in the company he was running, Andy Dan. Bernie persuaded me that I sell my, should sell my stock back to the guy that owned 81% of it. And I said, Bernie, if I do that, he's going to fire you. And he says to me, no, no, he needs me. I said, okay, I'll be happy to sell it to him. And the guy paid me a big number, big premium over the market. And within four months, Bernie was fired. Arthur was fired, and Bernie called me up. And I, I knew Bernie had... He wouldn't tell me what the idea was. Bernie had an idea for a new approach to the home center industry. And so when he called me up and told me he got fired, well, it's in the book, uh, 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 Bill, I said to him, hey, how soon did you get to New York? He got to New York the next day. And I said, okay, you got hit, pardon me, you got hit in the butt with a golden horseshoe. And he said, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, Bernie, we're going to do your idea. We're going to raise the money and we're going to do your idea. And that's what we did. Now, at that Bernie time, Bernie and Arthur and Pat Farah, they were an incredible management team, and they had genius and brilliance and creativity, and they were good, decent, honest people who understood the importance of having people be part of a product, be part of the team. The people, nobody worked for them; everybody worked with them, and and everybody felt like they had skin in the game, and we made sure they did. So the industry at that time, uh, I envisioned mom-and-pop hardware stores. Were there any major national chains going on? No, they were all regional. You had, you had uh, Payless Cashways throughout the Midwest. You had Handy Andy in Chicago. You had Somerville Lumber in Boston. You had Rickle, Pergamon, and Channel in the New York region, you know, North Atlantic region. Then in the Mid-Atlantic, you had uh, 
Heckinger's. Okay. You had more superstores, and in Florida, you had Scotty's. So they all sort of stayed in their own backyards. Now, when you opened Home Depot, uh, and you're saying that's Bernie Marcus's basic idea to create this yeah. superstore, uh, right. and this is before, uh, I mean, Costco was in its infancy, I'm assuming Sam's Club. Price Club, no, no, Price Club had started earlier. All right, and so and, did you take and, the, and which Bernie, became which Bernie, became Costco? Right, and then and Jim Setegal had worked for Saul Price and left and started Costco. And Bernie was a good friend of Saul Price, and Saul Price, uh, Bernie, I remember Bernie told me the story, Saul Price told Bernie, that, hey, Bernie, someday somebody's going to do in your business what we're doing here. And Bernie took it to heart and believed in it, but he wouldn't, Bernie was so concerned about the power, if it happened, he didn't want anybody to know. All right, so now you, uh, so let's talk about that first Home Depot store, because uh, yep. you're talking about a sizable store, a lot of money 60, for... In- 60,000 square feet. That's a one. That that's works. a big hardware store. Lots but not of as in- big as they are, not as big as they are now. Oh, of course not. I mean, today they're just huge. But at that time, at that time, it was considered yeah. a pretty big right. store. Lots, right. lots right. of inventory. Uh, obviously, right. a big gamble. How lo- how long did it take for this thing to break even and start making money? Oh, I think within a year we were in, we were in the black. Hold on, hold on a second. No, it's it's fine. <laughs> He's looking it up. I got something here. Wait a minute. Where the hell is it? Uh, Pam, where's that? Anyway, I think within a year, we were in the black. And was it one store or before that year? It started out, we opened two stores. Oh. We opened our first two stores. We opened at the same time. We opened in May of 1979. And how many stores are there? And then we opened stores, and then we opened stores, and we opened some stores in Florida. Then we went to Arizona and opened some stores, opened some stores, uh, and you know, we, by then we knew we had a concept that was more than a concept. We knew we had something that could really be big. And Bernie and Arthur and Pat, they were incredible retailers and merchants and just great operators. Are you still involved? Are you still huh? involved in the business at all? Well, no, we, 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 we put a rule in that all of us would retire at 73. And we all did. Bernie turned 73 first, and then he went, and then Arthur went and bought the football team. And then I left when I turned 73 in 2008. And Pat retired, wanted to go back out west, and that's where he is. He's in Lake Tahoe now. But, but uh, you know, we, we knew we had something that was going to be big, and we just had to make sure we, we kept executing, and we did. And these guys, as I said, Bernie, Arthur, and Pat, they were remarkable, and, and they brought great people in and around them and, and motivated them, and the rest is history. Ken, how old were you when you knew you were going to be a business person? 12, 13. See, very few people are that way. So, wh- oh, I like the idea. For example, I remember I wanted to sell Christmas wreaths. So I got two kids younger than me. I was 14, I think, and there was a greenhouse near where we lived that made Christmas wreaths. And I went and bought them for 75 cents a piece. They had a little red bow on them and a couple of false, you know, these holly berries that are false and a couple of pine cones. And I'd buy 12 of them, like for 9 bucks or 10 bucks, and I'd put them on a broom handle. And each of the kids would hold one end of the broom handle, and we'd go from house to house knocking on doors and say, you want to buy a Christmas wreath? When, what was your first, what you would consider a big success, where uh, you would, where I would consider you or anybody else would consider you, that's a successful businessman? 
Street in 1963, and I wanted to set out to to build a business. And I went to Wall Street in August of 62. I was with an insurance company in their investment department, Equitable Life, here in New York, and I was getting my MBA at night. And when I then I got called into the Army. When they built the wall around Berlin, I got recalled into the Army. And, how, and, and I left. How old were you at that time? How old were you? Uh, 26. And uh, so at what point, and you went out on your own right after that? No, then, I, no then, then when I got out of the Army, I decided I didn't want to go to the insurance company. Wall Street had gone through the biggest crash it had since 29. And I said, this is where I'm going to Wall Street. This is for me. And I went down to Wall Street, and I persuaded somebody to hire me as a salesman, paying me uh, 150 bucks a week. And I started going out and calling on investors, you know, insurance companies, banks, pension funds all over. I went to Cincinnati, I went to Cleveland, I went to Pittsburgh, and and I began to build up a nice book of business. I had a great partner, a fellow by the name of Bidney Banker, Vincent Banker, and he and I worked as partners in that together, and then we built a unit, and then we built up a, better, a bigger sales force, and one day I ended up being a partner in 1966. I was invited to become a partner in the firm. I was uh, barely, I was 31, barely 31. Yeah, I was 30. I was 30, and it was 65, and I was still 30 years old, and I was made a partner in January of yeah. 66. See, that is. And, see, I, I love those where you describe yourself as just a regular guy, and rarely is that the case. That's who I am. Even I know. Now, I get it. I get it. I got Ken. a few more bucks in my pocket, I, but I'm the same me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ken, the book is "I Love Capitalism: An American Story" by Ken Lagone, co-founder of Home Depot. Uh, director, former director of the New York Stock Exchange, and a million other stories. Uh, I love capitalism, an American story. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much right. for having me. Take I care. All right. This Bye is uh, KFI AM 640. Handle on the news. Late edition. Handle on the news. I actually don't think you're thinking anything. Bill Handel. You're entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to believe whatever you want. But there is fact and real world, real life consequence behind everything that you just said. And now, here's Bill Handel. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Handel here. And uh, I'm going to do this like I'm on meth, just to get it out of the way, okay? Please donate to help the American Red Cross Initiative get Prepare California for your $400 donation. You and your guests can enjoy cocktails and appetizers with all the KFI hosts and crew, plus unlimited sky slide rides during an exclusive evening in the beautiful OE skyscraper downtown LA. Have to be 21 years old. Uh, 100% of proceeds will benefit the American Red Cross Get Prepare California campaign. Limited tickets. Go to KFIAM640.com. Uh, search mixer. That's when you know you have to do it. I have a question. Are you going to do the slice, sky slide that night? I uh, No chance. Come on. Uh, maybe, but it's uh, I'm not good at heights. I'm really not. What and if we put like one of those sleep masks on you? That might help. So you couldn't to show you how important we are. Yeah, what's up? And uh, so it'll be uh, Jennifer and moi. Lead story. And uh, Jennifer's been covering this uh, all morning long. The ex-boyfriend and business partner of the woman who died in the uh, Aliso Viejo explosion has been arrested. Uh, after another bomb, because this one was a bomb, was found in his home in Long Beach, he has not been charged in connection with the explosion. Just an unregistered explosive device. I don't even know how you register explosive devices. I've been trying to figure this out, and the only thing that I can think of is if you're like a construction company and you're, you know, you have demolition stuff, so yeah. you're, you have dynamite. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. 
I don't know, or you're a you know TV crew and you have some sort of explosive that's yeah. going to be on your set. That, I, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But this guy, all we do know about him is that he was the ex-boyfriend, the business partner, and that he, I mean, just as recently as a month ago, has pictures all over his Facebook of him and the woman who was killed in the explosion in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're connected. Yeah, yeah, he's going down. Yeah. Well, Rudy Giuliani says, look, there is nothing illegal about Russia helping the campaign Find dirt on Hillary Clinton. I want to know who can Rongo Bongo. Uh, there is nothing wrong about the campaign finding dirt on Hillary Clinton. But if Russia helps, that's illegal. Because a foreign entity cannot try to even try to influence a, an American election. So Donald Trump Jr.'s testimony that he did sit down with a Russian attorney and he was, you know, first we talked about how it was supposed to be about adoptions and then it turned into dirt on Hillary Clinton. That part was okay because yeah, that's considered get, operation. Him getting uh, dirt. Him getting dirt. But here is the issue about collusion. Okay. And that is he, with the Russians, colluded to interfere with the election. He can interfere with the election with opposition research. They can throw all the dirt you want. That's what elections are about. But the Russians cannot. But working with the Russians to do that is working with an entity that it's illegal for them to do that. It's sort of a backhanded way. And uh, then Giuliani came up with his genius analysis saying they didn't use it, so therefore it's not illegal. What? Just because you don't use it. If I hand you a gun, an illegal gun, and you don't use it to kill someone, I'm still guilty of giving you a gun that I shouldn't give you. Just because someone doesn't, quote, use it, conspiracy to commit a crime. Well, we never committed, a, we never uh, went ahead and committed the crime. It's still illegal to even conspire to do that. That's where Giuliani is crazy. But then Giuliani, his um, experience as a lawyer, and he's done some great stuff as a lawyer. Yeah. He was... Uh, uh, when he was the AG, uh, or I think he was uh, not the AG. He was uh, the uh, was it the AG's office uh, that he had? So. I think so. Yeah, yeah, in New York. Yeah, and uh, I mean he was a hell of a lawyer. Now uh, it's now it's all political shillism. That's all it is. And he will manipulate the law, manipulate facts, uh, manipulate inter interpretations. He's he's bought into the Donald Trump philosophy of life. You make it up. You quote, you quote stats that don't exist. Uh, you decide what is law when it's not. So make up numbers. Handle the least you can do is speak English. That's basically what this guy told some people who worked at a restaurant in New York. So he goes into this. It's kind of one of those like higher end sandwich shops where you can go in and just grab a sandwich and a soda kind of thing. He goes in there and just loses it. In front of the rest of the customers, because some of the staff is speaking Spanish to each other. I am hot ice. Hot ice. So that they can see. Maybe you should so eat that sandwich today. Take a break from the food. Maybe you should get hit by the car, you piece of. Well, nice. she told Nicely him. Done. Yes, <laughs> but I, I'm going to give you uh, the other side of this. I mean, the guy was obnoxious, and it was uh, disrupted, etc. But let's talk about the underlying philosophy, and that is, uh, we are in the United States. And you have people that we're talking about at the front of the counter, behind the counter. We're not talking about people in the storeroom, et cetera. We're talking about people who deal with customers. If I, who don't speak Spanish, am 
ordering something and the two staffers are talking to each other in Spanish, I am excluded. What are you doing? You're speaking a language that I don't speak and I'm the customer. Uh, I, I can see how that's offensive. And if I were a store owner and some do that, saying in front of customers, you do not speak Spanish or Farsi because I don't want my customers to feel excluded or uncomfortable. Let me ask you this, though. You go into a Mexican restaurant, and yeah. it's very authentic, and uh, 90% of the workers there only speak Spanish. Well, then you have no choice. Okay. I mean, let's be practical. Yeah. Uh, if And if they only speak Spanish, I'll tell you one thing. They are never going to be serving Border Patrol agents or ICE agents. Man, they are so gone so quickly, uh, they're out the door. Because how many places have, uh, when you're de- dealing with retail, that don't that people don't speak English? You usually have at least, like, one or two. Yeah. No. And the places I go where they're bilingual, and I'll go to McDonald's, I'll go to, uh, not Taco Bell, because even though I do, but that's too close to, uh, you know, this story, uh, is people who are just totally bilingual. They'll speak Spanish to me or English to me as if that's the only language they speak. And then the next person in line speaks Spanish, and they're rattling oh, in right. Spanish. Yeah. Uh, that I'm fine with. Yeah. But it's when they talk to each other. In a retail setting, uh, that I have to tell you, I I agree with the the concept of management saying no, you don't do that. Yeah, All I right. worked in a, I worked in a Mexican restaurant where they told us that be, there were like half of us maybe that only spoke English and the other half, like you said, spoke English and Spanish. They told the the people who spoke both, you while you are at work, you are to speak English. Yeah, you or, can't speak Spanish to each other because you're not in, excluding the customers. Uh, they didn't even say the or other even employees. the other employees. And, that's what uh, they said. But if you're by yourselves, that's not a problem. Right. Okay, right. Uh, let's take a break. We'll be back. Uh, more handle on the news, uh, late edition. All right, Jenna. KFI handle here as uh, we finish handle on the news, late edition. Jennifer Jones Lee, Mo out, uh, Wayne out. I'm here. We went from a guy on a racist rant in New York to how about a racial slur on a Starbucks cup right here? I must tell you uh, that I think a lot more is being said and reported and felt than I think is necessary. Uh, and I'll tell you why. This is a guy who shows up at a Starbucks, and I, I and I've never seen this. Instead of writing your name, yeah, somehow it's printed on yeah. the cup, and I I guess they do that. Yeah, they've and, got a new tagging system. Okay, so uh, it, the guy's name he's a Hispanic name. Pedro. Uh, Pedro. And that's, they only use first names. You know, instead of writing uh, Pedro, they would print Pedro. And it says Beaner. And they hand it to him, and there's a photo, and it is offensive, and uh, there's no question about it. All right? So now Starbucks is getting nailed for it. They have to apologize. 238,000 employees, 27,000 stores around the world. One guy does this. Or one store deals with African Americans. Uh, when you're talking about all of that. So what does Starbucks do? What should they do? Apologize? Absolutely. Which they've tried. Which they've tried. Fire the guy who did it, whoever does it, and then maybe hand a $100 gift certificate to Pete's Coffee. Uh, Whatever they're going to do. But this now, it explodes into a huge story as opposed to, hey, one of our employees screwed up, fired, apology, Here is your $100. 
Don't you think that... What, what else is going on? I just think that more is being made out of this because of what happened with the two African-American guys again, in Philly. It, that's or... aberrational, too. Yeah. yeah. That's the point. That's all, I'm, that's all I'm saying. All right. How about this, though? How about no whites allowed on campus during what they're calling the Day of Absence at Evergreen State College? Of course, they're going to get away with it. Well, yeah, and they've doubled down. Last yeah. year, it was one day. Yeah, this no year, problem. It's three days. Now, let's get the reverse. Let's say you had uh, a, a white, let's say even call it a, a racist group, which would never be allowed on campus to begin with, who's, uh, that would say no minorities. You, no. Exactly. No. Uh, yeah. This specifically says no Nazis allowed. Well, that's okay. Well, I'm thrilled that no Nazis are coming. But... All right, there's a teacher in Florida who is under investigation now by Fish and Wildlife, obviously, because she is accused of drowning raccoons in her classroom. Rocky raccoon. Yeah, it's the old uh, drowning raccoon case. This, yeah, I'm, aren't you tired of these stories about drowning raccoons know, in front of classroom? In front of a classroom? Just one after the next. <laughs> after. <laughs> this Florida teacher, first of all, it's a man. Sorry, he uh, apparently the raccoons were eating. Like his class's chickens, which uh, even how did that. They, I mean, were these pet raccoons? No, I think they were interlopers. I think they were just coming in and so eating the chickens. Great. How about just locking the doors? I mean, this is pretty disgusting. Is Drowning gross. them in front of the class. Come on. Yeah, this is. That's, yeah, that's kind of outrageous. How many times do you change your sheets really fast on your uh, bed? Um, twice a year. <laughs> Well, chimpanzees have cleaner beds than you do, apparently, Handel. Everybody has cleaner beds than I do. The homeless guy down the street who sleeps on the sidewalk has a cleaner bed than I do. Apparently, chimpanzees <laughs> change their beds every night. There you go. And Yeah, they do. They uh, make a new bed with leaves, leaves et cetera. And yeah. They're way right. cleaner than Exactly. Are. Coming up, net neutrality. What does all that mean and what, the, uh, uh, what Congress tried to do yesterday, and it just didn't work? KFI AM 640. I handle here on a uh, Thursday, May the 17th, and I'm going to be asking uh, Jennifer, no matter what I'm talking about uh, in uh, the next uh, couple of segments, uh, to please interrupt uh, the reports coming in from the AP as it, uh, Kilauea has just erupted. Now, is, is this just a large eruption because there's been eruption as opposed to it blowing its top off? Well, I think the, the, the part is that it's erupted from its summit. So it's erupted from the top finally. So that's what I think is that this is the breaking portion of this. And they say that it's just sent a dusty plume of ash 30,000 feet into the sky. Um, and that tends to do that. Whenever these major volcanoes go up, they went in Iceland and uh, certainly Mount St. Helens, uh, airliners have to go hundreds of miles out of the way because uh, it's this fine ash that, of course, gets into the engines and just grinds them into nothing and can actually stop an engine cold. Yeah, and in fact, this the red alert that they issued yesterday where everybody went kind of crazy about it, mostly that was just for aviation because you've seen the pictures. You've already seen all of the just the gases and the ash and everything that's been rising up just from the fissures that have opened from the ground. And so now on top of that, now you have this eruption, so nobody's going to go that direction. We were just talking about the tourism. You know how they were saying that the hotel said they were down 50%. Cruise liners won't stop on the big island right now. Well, this is going to, I mean, anything that was happening is, this is going to halt it, I'm sure.
Good time to book Hawaii. Bye. On the Big Island, you're going to get one hell get of a, a discount. Yeah, you know, you're going. Oh, are you going to get a deal? So uh, the lava is still flowing from the fissures. There are no new fissures that opened up. Uh, I think the last one was a couple of days ago. Yeah, I think it, we're at like, gosh, we're at 18 or 20 now, and some 20 miles away. Yeah, from the volcano. So, I mean, the whole thing is sitting. Well, I guess the entire island is sitting on magma that's, uh, you know, pretty close to the surface. And have you looked to the fissures? You can you can almost watch them. You can almost map them. They're all sort of along the same lines, and so you you can tell that if one has popped up and you're you're in a, a line, and I think it has something to do with the earthquakes. Don't quote me on this, but there's some correlation in between the faults of the earthquake and whatnot, and the way that they have um, shifted. I guess the, that the plates have shifted that have opened up the fissures. You can almost guess where the it's next the ones right. are going to uh, going to open up. Well, you can certainly you can guess in the southerly direction. Let's say you yeah, have yeah, uh, yeah. you you have a fissure and the lava starts flowing. You can guess that the lava is going to flow just farther downstream if you will. Uh but what you don't know is when the fissures open up in places that have nothing to do with that one line because uh, imagine it's a spider web going out and it's well, it's like a tree, uh, tree tree roots, and you don't know how far out they're going and in what direction. And then all of a sudden, it opens up. I mean, it's pretty crazy stuff. It really is. Now, the USGS is now saying on its Twitter feed that as of 15 minutes ago, they have a webcam image from the HVO observation tower of the ash plume from this morning's explosive eruption at Kilauea Volcano Summit. And uh, it almost looks like the picture is in black and white, but it just almost looks like the surface of the moon. It's just, a, it's crazy. You're talking about the area around Kilauea. Yeah. So this is from the eruption at Kilauea's summit. Don't you find that bizarre that there's no video there? Obviously, obviously there is going to be video because, you know, drones are flying overhead. You know, cameras are pointed to uh, the volcano because we've been hearing in the news the last several days that uh, the explosion, uh, the uh, volcano unloading itself is imminent. I mean, they were looking at an eruption that's imminent. And uh, so it's been reported that it has. We have a time day, a uh, time stamp on that. Well, no, that, but this is all within the last 15 minutes. I have a reporter, um, Michaela Lincoln, who is a reporter in for Hawaii News Now, who is tweeting, the USGS HBO confirms an explosive eruption at Kilauea Summit. NWS has issued an ashfall advisory for the Kau communities. Warns residents to shelter in place if you are in the path of the ash plume. Well, I don't know how you would know if you're in the path, but anyway, so they're telling people shelter in place. They've got ash coming down. Um, wow. All yeah. right. No, no fun. No fun there. All right. So let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back and I'll talk about net neutrality the next segment. And uh, then I have a, a story about surrogacy. It's going before the Supreme Court. Some inside baseball on that one. You, as Sarah Palin would say, you betcha. And your chance to win a thousand dollars. KFI handle here. It is a Thursday morning. First of all, your chance to win some money. Your shot at one thousand dollars now. 
Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. And if you do win, you're going to get a call from a number you don't recognize, so you've got to pick it up or they'll move on to somebody else. Your chance to win happens every hour Monday through Friday, starting at 5 o'clock with Wake Up Call all the way through the Conway Show at 7 o'clock at night. All right, back we go. Uh, the big story is recovery. This about happened about an hour ago. Is uh, there was an eruption at the Kilauea volcano, uh, ash thirty thousand feet up in the air. Uh, but everything is uh, everybody's already been evacuated, so uh, we don't have any reports of uh, injury or death. And uh, then uh, coming up at uh, nine thirty, Supreme Court is being asked to uh, look at a surrogate mother case. And a basic premise about surrogate mothers, which I think is beyond stupid. All right. Now, uh, yesterday, uh, net neutrality came up. And here is, first of all, what is net neutrality? Net neutrality is the ability for all of us to receive the uh, information on the Internet at basically the same rate. Um, We can buy a faster bandwidth, but the information that is produced by the service provider, providers go across at the same rate. Uh, and they can't charge you extra money for uh, a different program or a different app. That's net neutrality, that it's effectively everybody is equal. Well, uh, there's a philosophical difference here between the Republicans and the Democrats. And what the FCC has done, and they control it, is the FCC became Republican. In that the terms are up, and what the president did is put in Republicans. It's now two-to-one Republican. And so what the FCC did is effectively remove net neutrality, allowing providers to actually slow down the speeds for certain apps and certain networks. For example, uh, if they want to charge more to Netflix— and uh, Netflix doesn't pay it. They can just slow it down. And they do just slow it down. And if you happen to be watching it, we're an app. Let's more, more like an app than anything else. So you have an app, and uh, the app is on the Internet, and the app is not paying enough money to the provider. Uh, then just slow it down and just make it more difficult. Effectively extort them. And under net neutrality, you can't do that. Under the new rules, you certainly can. And it's a a philosophical difference. Does the government get involved? Or does free enterprise simply fly? And if you happen to own, and uh, if you happen to be a provider, then you can charge whatever the hell you want, and the FCC won't just won't get involved. All those rules are gone. They were set up under Obama, uh, President Obama, by the way. Well, so what happened yesterday? Yesterday, uh, the Senate voted uh, to pass a measure that would repeal the new changes to net neutrality rules. And those new changes were adopted by uh, the Republican-curled FCC. All 49 Democrats backed that issue to bring net neutrality back. And three Republicans, which is how it won in the Senate. Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, John Kennedy of Louisiana... All of them considered liberal Republicans, of which they're not, incidentally. Uh, They're moderate Republicans. There's no such thing as a liberal liberal Republican. That that doesn't exist anymore. There used to be, but that's gone. 
So now it passed the Senate and it goes to the House where it's not close between Republicans and Democrats. And even if a couple of Republicans go the other way, like it happened in the Senate, actually three, uh, it's going to go nowhere. Net neutrality is effectively dead. Because even if it does pass the House, by some miracle, uh, the president won't sign it. president will probably veto it. So now, what do you do with the Internet? Is it for all of us? At exactly the same level? Or is it for people that are willing to pay or apps or uh, various networks willing to pay more money for not so much even a faster speed, but not to be slowed down? Now, obviously, the provider said, oh, no, no, we, we like faster and slower speeds. We like that a lot. And the folks who are in favor of a free Internet, and it, it depends on how you look at it, too. It, uh, it just, it's Republican versus Democrat. It is free market philosophy versus governmental control. And does the government control, where does the government control? And you're comfortable with it. Well, there are some people that say the government has no business anyplace. I happen to be a big uh, fan of the FAA. I kind of like that airplanes don't fall out of the sky, and I sort of enjoy the fact that you can't put a bolt into an airplane without having a serial number and having it registered with the FAA. Now, the free market people would say, you know what? The government should stay out of it. The market should control. And if you have an airline where enough people fall out of the sky, people will stop using that airline. There's your free market system. Now, obviously, that's a bit hyperbolic because uh, there's all the interest in the world because at one point or at some point, the federal government or any government has a duty to protect its own citizens. Which is how you defend the military, which is how you defend the borders, which is how you defend the FDA. Now, is the Internet on that same level? And if you talk to Chuck Schumer, for example, uh, Senate uh, Minority Leader, this is at that level. And, you know, there's a good argument. Because the Internet is so ubiquitous. The Internet is so important. As a matter of fact, and I've heard this before, I totally believe it. There are three or four or five major points in humanity that for the next 5,000 years, historians will look back at and say, that was a turning point in humanity. The discovery of fire. The discovery of the wheel, although fire wasn't discovered, but the use of fire. The discovery, the creation of the wheel. Maybe the printing press. So people would actually be able to read. And then I think... And I'm not exaggerating the Internet. And that may be one of the three most important. Fire, the wheel, and the Internet. It could literally be that important. As a matter of fact, I think it is. And we are, I have to tell you, there's a lot to be said for being here at the time the Internet was discovered and the Internet becoming uh, in usage. 
talking to Corey Hong, and, and Corey, I've told you many, millions of times, uh, is a visionary. He really is creating, and this is not a commercial, creating Unicom Global and software, and he figured it out way early in the 80s, uh, way before a lot of people did. And I once asked him, and this was maybe a year ago, and uh, I said, Corey, uh, you've lived the Internet now since its first days. Where do you think it's going to go? And he said, beyond your wildest imagination is not wild enough. I have no idea, but I will tell you it is going to change humanity more so than it's even changed it now. That's the Internet. Is it free to everybody? Should, should everybody have access to it? Or do the providers, should they be able to charge uh, different rates for speed and control it more than they do? Hey, you figure that one out. I am, I happen to think that it's, it should be free unless I own stock in some of the providers. Then it shouldn't be free. Coming up, a surrogate mother case before the Supreme Court. And some inside baseball on that. And I'm going to give you some juice that you're not going to get anywhere else. KFI handle here on a Thursday, another half hour or so to go. Uh, asking you to please donate to the American Red Cross Initiative to get prepared California. $400 donation. You and a guest can enjoy cocktails and appetizers with all the KFI hosts and crew, plus unlimited sky slide rides during an exclusive evening at the beautiful OUE Skyscape in downtown L.A. For a $500 donation, you don't have to go. You have to be 21 years or older to attend. 100% of the proceeds will benefit the American Red Cross. Get prepared California campaign. Limited tickets. Go to KFIAM640.com and the search word is Mixer. Okay, surrogate mother case as if. If a case comes up, I'm not going to do that, right? Give me a break. All right. So there are three cases that have been uh, that have been filed and uh, have gone through the appeals process, and now the U.S. Supreme Court is being asked to rule on those cases. Which I got news for you, gals. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, Melissa Cook carrying triplets. As a surrogate, the intended ad asked her to abort at least one of them, according to her in the lawsuit, because she couldn't, he couldn't afford to raise all of them. She refused and uh, has been fighting for custody ever since. That was three years ago. Two other surrogate mothers, Gail Robinson and Tony Bear, are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to provide more clarity on the rights of women and children in uh, the world of surrogacy. So the women have separate lawsuits and separate states. And a couple things about this entire issue. And as you know, my entire legal career has been in the world of surrogacy. I wrote my first surrogate mother contract in February of 1980. I was, I was one of two lawyers on the planet to be involved in surrogate parenting in 1980, early 1980. And by the way, not because, oh boy, boy, I jumped on it and I figured out, oh, this is going to be terrific. I just happened to be at the right place, right time. So uh, my claim to fame is uh, they pulled my number out of a hat and said, here you go. Enjoy your world, the, the world of surrogacy. Okay. 
So, uh, legally, uh, there's two issues here. One is moral, one is legal. One is actually uh, s- sort of bio uh, bioethics and uh, sociological in terms of socioethics, I guess is fair to say, uh, the way to say it. And so, legally, uh, they are asking that the contracts be unenforced or unenforceable or uh, presumption is that they are not valid. And here's the problem. Different states do it differently. It's court cases in some states. Here in California, for example, it's a court decision by the California Supreme Court. Calvert versus Johnson, in which the uh, California Supreme Court upheld the contract. Oh, by the way, do you know whose contract was used in that case? That went up to the California Supreme Court? Yes! Yes! That the court upheld. That that's a good contract. Well, it's a good legal contract. Although the court did note it was one of the worst written contracts in the history of jurisprudence. Did you write it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's the language at the bottom. Uh, We uphold the value of the contract, although this is a crap contract. Uh, I don't know what the hell lawyer ever wrote this. Uh, Right there in the decision. It's uh, tremendous. And so that's California. And so by Supreme Court decision, uh, surrogacy contracts are enforceable. Enforceable meaning that the surrogate mother is not the mother. She ain't mom. California, she can't even ask for custody. She can't get the front door. Because the parents are the legal parents. The intended parents. Incidentally, whether or not they're even genetically connected to the child. It doesn't have to be mom's egg and dad's sperm. There can actually be a sperm donor, an egg donor, a surrogate mother, and two intended parents contractually. As a matter of fact, when I taught law school, I was, uh, I know, Professor Handel, I know that. How do you, and the students didn't, couldn't keep a straight face when they said that. Really? Really, Handel? That's correct. You call me a professor. I would start the class with uh, surrogate mother, egg donor, Sperm donor, intended mom, intended dad, five people, who's mom and who's dad? You tell me. Well, is the surrogate mother, how do you define a mother? By someone who gives birth? Okay. Well, that's a surrogate mother. Is she the mom? How about the egg donor? Because that's the genetic connection to the child. That's my kid genetically. Is that who's mom? I don't know. I mean, we didn't know it. Now, of course, it is law. Then it wasn't. That was so much fun about that uh, when I first started practicing because no one could tell me I was doing it wrong. There were no cases. There was no legislation. It was simply by the seat of my pants. It was wonderful. Today, eh. You know, today there are rules, regulations. But the point is, every state has a different law. And so what these surrogate mothers who've changed their minds or trying to ask for custody, trying to unravel the contract, has gone to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court's going to say no. Even the appeals court, 9th District, said no. We're not even going to hear it. Lower court threw it out. Appellate court threw it out. Supreme Court is going to throw it out. You want to know why? Because it's a state issue. Because the federal government does not get involved in adoptions or marriages or divorces. That's a 10th Amendment state issue. 
So I don't know what lawyer representing these gals think that somehow the Supreme Court is going to rule on this. Every state is different. Why don't we have the Supreme Court rule on speed limits? Montana, there's none. California, 65. 75 in other states, the courts won't touch it. It's a state issue. All right, we're going to come back. And so that's one aspect of this. Then I want to talk about the premise of this lawsuit because it it takes a state issue that's eliminated but then it takes a moral position and I'll explain that when we come back KFI handle here on a uh, Thursday morning uh, right after the show I'm uh, doing handle on the law uh, off the air for future broadcasts so if you want to call Coming up at uh, right at the top of the hour, 10 o'clock. I'll be doing it for an hour, 877-520-1150. All right, uh, back we go uh, to, <laughs> tell me I'm not going to do this uh, story, right? Uh, sur- surrogacy. And there are three uh, lawsuits that have been filed in various, uh, various states. Uh, surrogate mothers who want to undo the contract for or file for custody for various reasons. But uh, the important thing is that they've asked the Supreme Court to take the case because it's different states. Supreme Court will not take the case at all uh, simply because this is a state issue and it just goes to different states. That's all. Divorce, marriage, uh, adoption, states have different rules and that's just the way it goes. Same thing with surrogacy. Some states, uh, the contract's enforceable, some that's not. Uh, some, uh, the presumption is there. Uh, some by, by law or by a Supreme Court decision. So it just runs the gamut. Now, uh, here's the argument that these anti-surrogacy folks are uh, arguing, and even in the lawsuits and these, uh, these women are, are arguing, and which I find offensive beyond offensive. And that is any of these contracts by which a woman carries a child for someone else is in of itself exploitive, exploitative to the birth mothers and create a class of women as breeders and commodify children. That's an argument that I've been hearing now for 38 years. And I am still stunned by that decision or that argument. I remember debating Betty Friedan, who is one of the original feminists. She wrote uh, Feminine Mystique. If you look, look her up, she is one of the pioneers of the feminine movement. She argued that a woman who becomes a surrogate mother is not doing it as a choice. It's because she is poor and desperately needs the money or because she has no esteem as a woman and is being forced into this by coercion, duress. Uh, And then you go on and on where she does not make the decision. And I find that so insanely disgusting to actually argue that a woman doesn't have not does not have the ability to choose to carry a child for someone else and i love the argument that it's uh, not in the child's best interest i guess the other side of that it's in the child's best interest not to exist i mean i actually had that argument wait a minute we're helping to create a child here and you're saying it shouldn't be here because it's not in its best interest to be born really Are you arguing that? Now, I've been doing this for a long time. And for those people, and I've actually heard this guy, you know who made that argument, by the way, also? 
Uh, Laura Schlesinger made that argument once to me when I was arguing. No woman can uh, choose to be a surrogate mother. And at that time, I had hundreds uh, behind me in terms of having done this as a legal practice. Today, it's thousands and thousands of women that have been through uh, through my program. And I offered to Laura and other, quote, experts in the field of psychology, hey, how'd you like to meet a few of them? Just sit down and talk to a few of these women, please. And just ask them. I won't even be in the room. I'll give you a list. Nope. I don't have to. I already know they're being exploited. I mean, that's the craziness. So those are the two arguments the court is being asked uh, to uh, decide. Whether, number one, it even has the jurisdiction, are the contracts enforceable, and number two, the much farther-reaching argument that uh, the contracts in themselves are exploitative to birth mothers, women are breeders, and commodify children by even, I guess, having the kids born. Really crazy stuff. All right, that's... uh, my surrogacy topic. Do you think I ever, ever would allow an issue of surrogacy not to be talked about on this show? I just walked in and I did not hear what you were talking about, okay. uh, which is going to make the next question stupid, probably. Um, but it can be stupid question Thursday. Sure. Did you hear about the doctor that used DNA from three people to, to make a baby? Yeah. And was it, were you just talking about that? No. Oh, okay, good. Um, yeah, he he was a, the the mother had some sort of genetic disease. Yeah. Oh, no. and he was Gene- able to kind of go around it. Oh, absolutely. And then now they're saying that they're going to use that to to make uh, mothers out of sixty year old women. Oh, the bioethics of all of this is so scary. Right. The genetics. Uh, here's one for you that when I taught surrogacy, because uh, we freeze embryos, you know that. Yeah. Uh, and we can keep embryo frozen forever. I mean, they're uh, my kids were frozen. Yeah. You know, we call them peepsicles. Uh, they were uh, uh, frozen embryos. There they were. And so uh, here's an here's a question that I would ask uh, in uh, law school. And that is, since we can freeze embryos, you can have twins like my kids. We had two embryos. You defrost one embryo and put it into a woman. Mm-hmm. That woman or that child grows up, right? Just like yeah, my daughter's. Yeah. And its twin is implanted in her because you've defrosted uh, 25 years later. Holy hell. So mom, sister is mom, mom is sister. That's that's too much. Yeah. And by the way, that's perfectly feasible. I mean, this is not science fiction. This is yeah. real. How about that one, my dear? Well, what else is going on gonna, today? We're going to talk about that in coming up in the one o'clock hour in Strange Science. Also... Kilauea Volcano has erupted from its summit. We're going to have our show Volcanologist on. Do you have a show Volcanologist? We do not have a show Volcanologist. We do. Pretty impressive. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And this Turpin 2 family, it's been calling the Turpin 2 family. There's something fishy going on here. These kids say they were punched, kicked, strangled, waterboarded. But when you've got 10 siblings, doesn't that kind of happen? Doesn't that kind of go along with (laughs) the territory? Good point. No, very good point. All right. A lot of that going on. Also, I'm taking phone calls, 877-520-1150, 877-520-1150, off the air for future broadcasts, starting in just a moment. I'll do it for an hour. Marginal legal advice, 877-520-1150. Shannon, have a good show. Thank you, sir. This is KFI AM 640.